theme for Psalm 119 is the title of the study, The Excellence of the Word of God. The Excellence of the Word of God. I came to the Lord as a senior in high school six weeks prior to graduating from high school. I'd been raised in the church, had made a profession of faith in Bible school when I was real young, and uh, as I got into high school and the Holy Spirit began to open my heart to the some under conviction of the Holy Spirit, he did something unusual in my life. Christmas of my senior year, my parents asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And I told them, I want a Bible. That's kind of interesting for a senior. Uh, to, you know, to, uh, that's what I wanted for my uh, Christmas present. And I got a Sears and Roebuck Revised Standard Version. <laughs> that's what they gave me. Uh, my mother and daddy bought everything from Sears, including Bibles, you know. And uh, so I, I had uh, my first real Bible was an RSV. And I began to read that voraciously. And the Holy Spirit began to do a work in my life. And God began to turn my heart in affection toward the Word of God. I never was a reader I did just enough reading in, in school to get through. My book reports were Old Shep and the Life of Babe Ruth. You know, no, nothing, anything real deep, you know, caused a lot of thought. I just barely got through. I, I wasn't a reader. But God turned my appetite on for the Word of God. And as I began to study the Word of God, Six weeks before I graduated from high school, God brought me to a place of total surrender to his lordship in my life and just a place of repenting of my sin. And God became so real to me. And it was all, I think, I think I can, can date it almost from the time that I began seriously to pursue God's word in my life. Uh, this is a living book. It changes lives. And I remember about a year after that, I went to college and played basketball and baseball one year, and Vietnam was hot and heavy, and, and uh, the dean called me in after my first semester and said, Son, if your grades don't improve, you're out of here. You're on, you're on athletic scholarship. You're going to be out of here if you don't, your grades don't come up. So I decided I didn't want to be a ground pounder in Vietnam, and I joined the Air Force. And while I was in the Air Force, while I was packing to go to basic training, God had made me fall in love with, it, with the Bible. And so I packed that Bible. And I can recall in basic training at night, you never had time hardly to do anything but run and breathe and say yes sir, no sir. But I remember at night, even after lights were out, I'd get my flashlight and I'd lay in my bunk and I'd take my flashlight and I would read. And guess where I read? I read the Psalms. 
There's something about the Psalms that brings peace and comfort and hope and help like no other passage, pass, passages in the Bible. And so I, I, I gained a love for the Psalms. Matthew Henry, the great Puritan commentator, said that Psalm 119 is a treasure box. And, and he goes on to say that it's like a box full of silver rings. And they're not connected. They're all separate. And I remember when I surrendered to preach, my father in the ministry told me, he said, now the Proverbs, every verse in the Proverbs can be turned into a sermon. Now I was young, didn't know exactly what he meant by that, but since I began studying the Word of God now for half a century, he was exactly right, because each proverb is a standalone proverb. Well, the Psalms are a lot like that, and especially Psalm 119, because it's like every verse in Psalm 119 is a golden ring, but they are not connected. But what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take a thread and we're going to connect those golden rings. And we're going to pick up a theme. Now, the first thing, uh, the first, our approach to this, and by the way, I, when I was in my second church down at Brewer Baptist Church in south of Tupelo, Mississippi, I invited a Bible teacher, a good friend of mine, Dr. C. Wayne Neal, he had been my BSU director in college, and I asked him to come and teach in a Bible conference in the church I was pastoring. I was so interested when he got there, because he had an outline, and starting on Sunday and going through Wednesday, guess what he taught? Psalm 119. For the entire week, he taught Psalm 119. So you can guess I'm a little bit nervous standing here in front of you, and I've got, what, 40 minutes left, and he had a week. But what Dr. Neal did is he broke down the psalm according to its structure. And I'm asking several questions about, about the psalm, for, for it to be exact, and you have them there. So let's just look at the first question. We're going to try to answer four questions. Here's what I'm going to try to do tonight. We, like I said, if we, if we took... One minute for each verse would be here three hours. There's no way to do a verse-by-verse verse of this psalm. What I want to do, I want to break it down and give you an overview, and I hope it'll just create an appetite in your heart and a love for this psalm. Sometimes the bulk of it scares people away, and a lot of times people just don't read Psalm 119 because to read Psalm 119 is, is tantamount to reading eight chapters in some other book. And so they, it just seems to be so daunting a task that oftentimes people just kind of scoot around it or read a few sections but don't really deal with it. Now, here's the first question that I, I want to ask. Why is this psalm arranged in this unusual way? And you may be asking, if you haven't read the psalm or studied it much at all, you may be asking, what do you mean unusual way. Well, Psalm 119 is different from the other Psalms 
in that it is an acrostic. It is an acrostic built around the Hebrew alphabet. Now, if you, uh, if you have your uh, Bible, look, look there at me uh, in Psalm 119. And if your Bible is like mine, and it may, may, you may not have it, but how many of you have before verse 1, you have the Hebrew figure and you have the word Aleph there. How many of you have that? All right, that's the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, look, look right before uh, verse 9. Uh, what do you see? Beth. That's the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And you go down to verse 17, Gimel. That's the third letter in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, here's an interesting thing. It doesn't show up in our English Bible, but if we had the Hebrew Bible, here's the way it would be. The first eight verses, the first word in every verse is Aleph. The first letter, first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In verses 9 through 16, the first letter of every verse starts with Beit or Beth. So it, it, it carries that throughout the entire psalm. Each letter of the alphabet, you'll notice the uniformity, has eight verses under it. Aleph has eight verses, Beth, eight verses, Gimel, <coughs> eight verses, Daleth, eight verses, and, and on down the line. Now, here's the question. Why? That's my first question. Why does this psalm have this structure? And there is almost uniform consensus on this that the psalm was written this way to enhance memorization. Um, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were known for consuming and memorizing large sections of Scripture. And uh, the Hebrew alphabet would have been an easy way to hang their thoughts on so that even young people could begin to memorize Psalm 119. They could remember the, the Hebrew alphabet and the first eight verses all started with Aleph, and so it would help them. It would help them in this whole matter of memorizing the Scripture. Now, 8 times 22 equals 176 verses. So that's a lot of verses to cover. Uh, Spurgeon wrote a book. I have it in my library. Spurgeon wrote a book entitled The Golden Alphabet. And that whole book is written on this very thought of Psalm 119. If you have studied in the New Testament, uh, when, when the New Testament opens up, there is a branch of Judaism that did not exist in the Old Testament. But, but when we open the Gospel of Matthew, there they are. You remember what they were called? Pharisees. You don't see a Pharisee in the Old Testament. But they were men who were committed to orthodoxy with regard to the Old Testament. Now, they went to seed, and they eventually 
went into legalism and they became one of the greatest enemies to Jesus Christ. But in the beginning of Phariseeism, it was a good thing. Uh, they, they, the Pharisees began to bring the Jewish theology back to orthodoxy. They had become liberal. The Sadducees didn't believe in angels, resurrection, or anything. And the Pharisees brought them back theologically to a place of conservative commitment to the Word of God. But they went to seed. And uh, so uh, Paul, you remember, was a Pharisee. Well, here's what I want to say. The Pharisees were known, many of them, for memorizing the Old Testament. Can you imagine that? Now, I've known, I've had some men in my life, uh, through the years who've memorized the New Testament. But I've never known anybody who memorized the Old Testament. Never known anybody personally. So uh, that would be the first thing I, I would say is that this psalm is structured this way in order that it might be easy to memorize. Now why would they want to memorize Psalm 119, say, as opposed to some of the other psalms. Well, that leads me to my second question, and that is, what is this psalm about? And that'll show you the importance of why they wanted it to be memorized. Uh, to fill in your blank, it is to show the excellency of God's Word. The excellency of God's Word. Psalm 119 has a purpose, and that purpose is that it might move you and move me to search the Scripture and find pleasure in the Scripture and have a heart that wants to practice the Scripture. Can I say that one more time? The purpose of Psalm 119 is that it might give us pleasure. Now that's a key word. Pleasure in the Scripture. And that pleasure in the Scripture would lead us to want to lovingly practice the scripture. Now, so when, when we think about when we think about what this psalm is about, it is about God's word. And one of the best ways to really see that is, is to show you ten words that are used in this psalm for the word of God. There are ten words that this psalmist you and by the way I have to say this psalmist because I can't say with absolute certainty that this is a Davidic psalm there's nowhere in the psalm that hints as to who wrote it well maybe that's a little overstatement whoever wrote it had been a person who suffered a lot who had enemies that persecuted them for their stance on the word of God um, they, they were people knowledgeable of God's word. So uh, there's some hints, but there's been uh, a lot of people suggested as the possible author of Psalm 119, but we don't know with certainty. So whoever it was that wrote Psalm 119 was, was led of God's Spirit to use ten different words to describe this book. And so let me, let me just call your attention to those, and we will read those. Uh, first of all, go to verse 1. Verse 1. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, 
who walk in the law of the Lord. Now there are two words there. First of all, there's the word way. Blessed is the person whose way is blameless. Now, the word way here refers to Scripture. This book is called The Way. It's interesting that in the early church, the, the world branded them and gave them a name. You remember what it was? It's called The Way. In the book of Acts, you'll discover that the world called them the way, the way. Is there anything Jesus said that might hint at that? What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So the first word is the word way. And, and it's because here God reveals the way you should live and the way uh, you should believe. And so he's using that, that thought to describe God's revelation. It is the way. It, here, the scripture says, here's the way, walk you in it. So that's the first word. Here's the second word. It's also found in verse 1. What would that be? Law. law. That's right. He says, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, that word law is found in this psalm 24 times. This is, a, this is the word of a sovereign. This is the word uh, of, a, of a royal. It's a royal law. And the person who opens it is to receive it as the law of God. Uh, sometimes the word law had a restricted meaning. Sometimes in the Old Testament, when you see the word law, it has a restricted meaning, and the context has to tell you what it means. Sometimes it means only the Ten Commandments. When you say the law, you're referring to the Ten Commandments. But other times, the law has a much broader meaning, and it means the whole revelation of God. And so that's the meaning here. He says, when you walk in the law of the Lord. All right? So uh, then, then we come to uh, the third word. Look in verse 2. How blessed... I'm going to read the psalm and then you tell me what word it is. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. Now what is the third word there that, that's the uh, same as the word of God? Anybody? Testimonies. That's exactly right. Testimonies. That word is found 19 times in this one psalm. And in this, in this psalm, God is testifying as to what is his will. God is saying or testifying to what his will is. All right, now let's go to verse 4. Verse 4. You have ordained your, and see that's capital Y, you have ordained your precepts, that we should keep them diligently. So what's the word there? Precepts, exactly. And it's found 20 times in this psalm. And now here God is prescribing what we're to do 
and what we're to believe and what we're not to do and what we are not to believe. Ladies, you will uh, probably remember a lady named Kay Arthur. Anybody in here remember the name Kay Arthur or maybe, okay. Then what, you remember what the name of her ministry is? Precepts. Precepts. Yeah. Any, any, ladies, any of you ever had a precept Bible study here? Anybody? Okay. It's a, it, it's a really good, strong, expository uh, type of study of the Word of God. Kay Arthur is a, uh, was a wonderful teacher. Uh, the male counterpart of that, uh, the male side of precept, was a, a friend of mine, and uh, he, uh, he was Wayne Barber, who just went to heaven uh, about two years ago. But uh, precept, the, the title precept, is, 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 it, it, means, uh, it, it means what God is prescribing, what we're to do, what we are to believe. All right, now let's go to, to verse 5. Verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your, what church? Statutes. Underline that word. Statutes. Now, um, he says, uh, uh, by the way, from that word, we get our English word, stationary. Statute or stationary. And that's found 19 times in this psalm. And it means, like the word stationary, it means God's word is fixed. It's determined. It's fixed. It's determined. Yeah, look at verse 8 and 89. We see this same thought on down in verse 89. Just turn over and look at that just for a second. He says, uh, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's stationary. It's fixed. God is not changing his mind, you know? God, God doesn't change his mind with each generation. But his word is fixed. It's stationary. Okay? All right, then go to verse 6. Verse 6, and we'll see uh, the sixth uh, word that's used to describe his word. I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, verse 6. Verse 6 says, Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your, what? Commandments. Commandments. Now that word is found in this one psalm, is found 22 times. And here's what that word means. It means that what is written in Psalm 119 has the authority of a commandment, not a suggestion. Uh, suggestions are, the word suggestion is never used as a word to describe God's word. These are not suggestions. They are commands that God is giving to his people. Now let me give you a New Testament equivalent. John 14, 21. Write, write that down in your notes. John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loves me. Let me say that one more time. John 14, 21. Did I say 26? John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. So what, what is Jesus? Jesus is expanding upon 
what the psalmist said in Psalm 119. He's saying that, that obedience to his commands is a true sign of authentic love for God. Uh, so uh, that's uh, number six. Let's, let's look at number seven, and we go to verse seven. What I'm doing is I'm finding the first use of this word in this psalm. It's used a number of places, but we're just looking at the first use of it. In, in verse seven, he says, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Underline that word, judgment. When I, uh, verse 7, uh, when I learn or declare, declare your, thy righteous judgments. Now that word is found 22 times in this psalm. It means that God is the only one who can always render righteous judgments. For he alone always knows all the facts in any given situation. You see, God always knows all the facts, all of the uh, possibilities, even what would have happened if this or that had been done. <laughs> God knows every eventuality. Therefore, God is always able to render righteous judgments. We place a lot of uh, weight in our culture in the judgments that are rendered uh, for example, by our Supreme Court. So and that, that I think that's why there's been so much emphasis on trying to get a people of character and, and, and faith in those positions of the Supreme Court. But if, if that is important, how much more should we pay heed to the judgments of the Lord, who is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? Amen? All right, now let's look at, at uh, the eighth word, and we'll go to verse 9 for that. How can a young man, this is probably one of the best known verses in Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way? Uh, as King James says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By keeping, taking heed, to thy word, by, by keeping it according to your, what? word. So the word for word is word. <laughs> he just uses the word word here. He says according to thy word. Now that word is found in this psalm 22 times. Now what is a word? What is a word? A word is a declaration of of a man's mind or a woman's mind. Your word, you're sharing, you're declaring what's in your mind. When, when God speaks, God declared his word through his Bible, through his word. I, I, let's, let's look at a couple of places in the New Testament. Go to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. And you might just write this as a as a kind of a side note in your note. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, he says, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, uh, see that word spoke, that's the word, he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. 
in these last days, he has spoken to us in his, what church? In his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he has made the world. Now, go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We'll look at two verses. John chapter 1. First of all, verse 1. John 1, 1. You there? All right. In the beginning was the what? In the beginning was the Word. What do we say the Word was? The Word is the declared mind of God. It's what God wants to reveal or say. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was, became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen? Amen. So, ultimately, the word is Jesus. And the Old Testament is pointing toward the ultimate word. He has, in these last days, spoken unto us by his Son. Now, that word is found 22 times in Scripture. Well, uh, let's, let's move on. Um, verse 30. The, the ninth word, verse 30. Now, it, 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 in some commentaries, they say there are only eight words. Some say there are nine, some say there are ten. I've come down on the side of ten. Uh, there would be some who would uh, for example, eliminate the way and say that's not reference to the word. But uh, I think, I personally think it is. But in, in verse, in the ninth word, verse 30, Psalm 119 and verse 30, notice what he says. I have chosen the, what does your version say there? Way. I have chosen the way uh, uh, of what? Who has faithfulness? Who has truth? Okay. So that draws the contrast. They mean the same. But the notion is God's faithful truth. The, the idea is the word of God embodies truth. Truth. And uh, so he says here the word of God is a record of eternal truth. Now, in our culture, we have, in our secular culture, we have, for the most part, rejected the idea of ultimate, final truth. And we've replaced it with the subjective notion that goes like this. Well, that may be truth for you, but that's not my truth. And so we, our culture has bought into that almost totally except for the faith community. And even among the faith community, it is becoming more and more rare to find people who will declare that they believe in ultimate and final truth. 
But the scripture claims to be truth. He, he says uh, 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 in John 14, 6, what did Jesus say? He not only said he was the way, but he said he was the what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? So the word of God is called the truth. Now look at verse 40. This is the last word. This is the last one that I, uh, I will mention. He says in verse 40, Behold, I long for your precepts. Uh, New American Standard says, Revive me through your righteousness. Who has the ESV? What, what does that say? Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness gives me life. Righteousness gives me life. So, what word there is, is a metaphor for the word of God? Righteousness, that's right. The word of God is called righteousness because everything in it is right. It is holy, it is just, and it is good. Now, let me just go on to say this. Some things in the Bible are not holy. I don't get mad at it. Some of the things the Bible records are not holy things. Some of the things that happen in the Old Testament and the New Testament are sinful. They're evil. But God records them in a truthful way. That doesn't mean that, you know, somebody says, well, well it was in the Bible. Well, yeah, sure. David committing adultery with Bathsheba was in the Bible. ringing in your ear only. Thank you, brother. <laughs> so I got to get used to it. I, I was hearing myself real good. I don't know. <laughs> My wife thinks I need these things. I don't. I, but uh, We'll see. Can you hear me now? <laughs> okay. All right. How long has it been out? Okay. All right. <laughs> well, let me see. Where, before I so rudely interrupted myself, where was I? Uh, here, here's the thing I want you to see. At least one of these ten words is found in every verse in Psalm 119. With one exception. And I know you're curious. You want to know what is that exception. Look at verse 122. 
126. He says, Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. Now, Hebrew scholars, which I am not, would say that's the only exception to that, uh, to that rule. Uh, you know what? I read this, and uh, I'm almost ashamed of myself. If David wrote this, if it wasn't David, it was somebody in David's era or maybe slightly post-exilic, but let's just assume for a moment that David did write it or someone like David. Now this is what that would mean. It would mean that the only Bible he had was the Pentateuch, Joshua, Judges, and maybe Job. And yet this man writes with a passionate love for the Word of God. Isn't that convicting? I mean, he did so much with so little. And we do so little with so much. I mean, we've got the whole book. Amen? we got the whole thing. <laughs> and, 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 and if he could love, listen, if he can love the book of Leviticus, surely, surely you can look, love the book of Philippians. Amen? <laughs> right? I mean, if David could love the Pentateuch, surely we can love the New Testament that tells us about our Messiah, our Savior. Well, David loved his Bible. And, 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 and you know, here, here's my goal for this study Look, for tonight. Look at verse 97. If, if, if we could all walk out of here saying verse 97, I'd say we've had a good time. He says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Wow. You know, if, if we could just move, if I could just move you down the track a little bit in your love for the Bible. Now, I, let me just say, I think most of you already have a love for the Word. You wouldn't be here on Wednesday night. I mean, I know Baptists that well. Uh, you know, Sunday morning proves the popularity of... of uh, <laughs> of the church. Sunday night proves the popularity of the preacher. Wednesday night shows the popularity of the Lord. So we, you know, that's kind of the way it is in many churches. I say that tongue in cheek, but there's a lot of truth in that. So I'm, I'm, I know I've got the cream of the crop here tonight, but, but I know I want to love God's word more. God has, is, has moved my heart to want to love his word and it is precious if we could read all of Psalm 119 we can't it says that we ought to tremble we ought to tremble at the word of God you know when we read these amazing things well here, here's let, let, let's go to uh, the third point I gotta hurry on uh, can this psalm be summarized uh, I, I remember hearing James Robinson say one time in Dallas, Texas, uh, 
about the sermon he was about to preach, he said, this sermon has been like trying to organize an explosion. That's pretty, that's pretty poignant way of saying something. Well, Psalm 119, it, it, how do you summarize 170-something verses? Uh, but but I, I, think, I think maybe we'll, we'll give it a shot. Here's what I'm going to try to do. Now, I'm going to do this real quickly. Uh, I'm going to try to take that thread. I said, you know, these are different circles. Uh, Matthew Henry called it a, a treasure box of golden circles, and they don't connect. But we're going to try to run a thread through those, uh, those circles, all right? Uh, and so here we go. It begins in verse 2. It begins by expressing, uh, you, can read, you can read the verses or you can, can just uh, underline it or whatever. I'm just going to go through this real quickly. It begins by expressing that those who keep God's word are blessed or happy. That's the opening statement in verse 1, that we are blessed. And that word blessed means happy, like Matthew 5, 1 through 12, where he gives the Beatitudes. Happy is the man, happy are the poor in spirit, happy are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. So he's saying that the man who keeps God's word are happy. And then verse 16, he takes that thread and he says, So then, uh, David determines that he'll give himself to the scriptures. If the way to happiness is keeping the scriptures, then he said, I'm going to give myself to the study of the scripture. That's verse 16. Verse 18, then he begins to pray that he might be able to understand them. He wants to understand the scripture. So verse 18, we take that thread through there. He prays to, to understand it. Now, notice a lot of these verses are prayers. David is praying. And then, then verse 28, he prays that he'll be strengthened by the scriptures. And he prayed in, in verse 35 that he'll be given power to obey them. And then in verse 46, he determines not to keep it to himself, but he wants to speak of it and, uh, and share what God is teaching him from the word of God. That's in verse 46. Verse 51, as the thread keeps going, he'll speak of it in spite of the fact that he is derided by his enemies. He said, I'm not going to quit speaking about it just because my enemies don't like it. And then he says in verse 63, he's determined that his closest friends won't be those who are enemies of the word, but his closest friends in this life will be those who like him and who want to keep his word. You know, you can tell a lot about folks by who they hang with. Amen? Yeah, and, and I want to hang with folks that who just being around them makes me want to love God more and love his word more. Verse 72, because nothing is more precious to him than God's word. Uh, let me read verse 72 to you. It's, it's just too good not to read. He says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Wow. Wow. Ah, and then he prays in verse 76 that the scripture will comfort him. He, he says the same thing in verse 82. He longs for comfort from God's word. Hey, I won't ask for a show of hands. But how many of you in a time of hurt, maybe grief, maybe disappointment, in a time when you were about as low as a snake's belly and you didn't know what to do or where to go, and you picked up this book, and you began to read, and God helped you. God comforted you through his word. And that's what David is experiencing here. 
And he's experiencing the comfort of God. The comfort of God. Verse 95, then he makes up his mind that opposition will never deter him from the Scripture. Verse 97, why? Because he loves the Scripture too much. Look again. Let me read verse 97. Verse 97 says, Oh, I, I mentioned it a while ago. Oh, how I love your law. Okay? It did Psalm 105. He says, For this book will guide me through my life. He says, It's a light unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, I, I could just continue that, that thread on through, but I, I want to get to the last one, and I'm, I'm running out of time here. And I, so I want to take... Yeah, will you give me about just five more minutes and I'll finish this thing up, okay? Uh, that's better than three hours, isn't it? I mean, all right, let's look. What can we learn from this psalm? Well, there's been a lot of themes uncovered. I remember Irving Jensen reading about him. He found 11 themes in this psalm, so I'm not going to try to deal with that. But I want to just pick out three real quickly, three themes that I think is helpful to us and just apply this. What can we learn from the psalm? Number one, we can learn the secret to understanding the Bible. A lot of people struggle with understanding the Bible. Verse 73 says, Give me understanding. This is a prayer now. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Now here we're taught to come to God with a felt need and pray for God to give us understanding. In this psalm, six times David prays for understanding. He's asking God to give him an understanding heart. And what he's saying here is this, understanding is a gift of God. You can have eight doctorates and not understand the word of God. You see, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not based on your education. It's based upon God's unveiling himself and his word to you. And, and you see, this felt need for understanding is what drives us to prayer. And that's good, because that's what God wants us to do, is come to him and ask him. And so uh, the first law in understanding the scripture is have a hungry heart that calls upon God to give you will. what he said in verse 34. Give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. You see, here's, here's another principle. If you really want to understand the Word of God, you must be committed up front to do what? To obey the Word of God. Now, here's the way we do it. We say, God, show me your will and I'll decide whether I want to do it. How many of you know it doesn't work that way? Look at John 7, 17. This is one of my favorite verses on the will of God. John 7, 17. John 7, 17. Jesus said, if anyone, you might want to put a star by this verse. This is a great one to memorize. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. You see what he's saying? If any man will do, then he shall know. Right? If, if I'm committed, if I say, Lord, hey, I, 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 you've got a blank check in my life. <laughs> I, I've signed the check, now you fill it in. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Then God has obligated himself to show us what that will is. Okay? So, uh, 
the first thing is understanding the word means a commitment to pray and a commitment to obey. Okay? If we really want to understand. Here's the second thing. Memorizing the Bible. Memorizing is hardly ever practiced today, but here's the verse. Verse 11. You, you know it by heart, but Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against God. I want to say, and I know, I know, I hear the, I hear the excuses coming. I'm too old to memorize. <laughs> I, hey, I can see that. I can see that behind those eyes. I'm too old to memorize. No, you're not. Listen, listen to this. I tell young preachers, one of the greatest things you can do is hide God's word in your heart, memorizing, putting the word of God. I draw from the well where I planted scripture in my heart and mind 40 years ago. I was discipled in the military by the navigators. They taught me to memorize three verses a week, and I did that for years. Uh, sad to say, when I got on into the pastorate, I, uh, that, I, I, I dropped that discipline of three verses a week. I've continued to memorize through the years, but not at that pace. But I'm drawing from the well from 30, 40 years ago. The scripture says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hey, I, I'm, I'm just gotten on the track of memorizing one verse a week again. Do you realize if you just memorized one verse a week, that's 52 verses a year. If you did that for 40 years, you do the math. You do the math. If somebody came in here tonight and took away all of our Bibles, would we have any word left? We'd have all of that we put in our hearts. The POWs in Vietnam found that out. They, that helped them survive by combining the Bible verses that they had memorized. Well, the last thing is this, meditation. Meditation. You say, well, Brother Tommy, isn't that the same thing as memorization? No, it's not. Meditation involves memory, but it's more than memory. Uh, you know, those of us raised on the farm, you know what we mean by a, chow, uh, a cow chewing its cud, you know? They have several stomachs and they'll regurgitate and chew it for a while and let it go down again. Meditation is that process of taking what we've memorized and reflecting on it. Not just so we can learn it, here's the key, but so we can love it.